Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman, and today I'm talking with Florence Christophers, who used to suffer terribly from migraines and never thought that sugar or all the processed junk that she used to eat had anything to do with her migraines. She'll be telling us her story in a minute. But just before, I'd like to invite you over to my website, aftersugarclub.com, to make the most of all of the resources there about how you can start reducing sugar so that you can get more energy, feel the healthiest ever, and get rid of those cravings and the need to find comfort and reward in foods that, well, in the long run, make you feel worse, not better. And you can also find information about what to eat, what whole foods are, and also about gut health, which is absolutely central to your general health. So go to aftersugarclub.com and download your simple guide to getting more energy with less sugar. You can also find me on Facebook, on my Facebook page, Life After Sugar, and on Instagram, where I post pictures of what I eat, what I do, you know, how I live my life after sugar. That's at my life after sugar. All right, here's my chat with Florence. Florence, thank you so much for agreeing to talk with me. Great to, to see you and to have you here. Um, and I'd like you to tell me a little bit about what your life was like uh, before when you were still consuming sugar. Right. Well, I guess it depends how far back you go. But in my childhood, I can describe a childhood that was uh, blighted by the impact that refined carbohydrates were having on my mood, on my energy, on, on my quality of life, my health and my mental health. And I would say that it was it just got worse day over day, week over week, month over month, year over year. A decade over decade until my early 20s and by the time I hit I think I was right on the 20 mark um, I had a huge file and you know I was a university student and I had a huge medical file at the student medical office because if it wasn't one thing it was another I had blinding migraines I was in and out of urgent care all the time they were always sending me to specialists I mean, I would have 10, 12, 14 day migraines. I'd be in and out of urgent care two or three times. And I don't even know what they were shooting me up with back then. Back then they actually put needles in my butt. Now it's intravenous, um, you, you know, and gosh, I, they did scans in my head. I saw so many specialists, but I'd been having migraines since the age of three and nobody ever talked to me about what I was eating, you know, what were triggering these migraines. They just said, you know, it's progressive. And, you know, they just kept giving me harder and harder, you know, you know, pharmaceuticals. And eventually I had an open prescription for T3s, which is Tylenol 3, which is Tylenol plus codeine. 
I literally chewed them like candy. I have taken thousands upon thousands of Advil and aspirins and Tylenol and Tylenol-3. And the number of times I've been shot up with Demerol and Toradol and I don't even know what they're shooting me up in my, back in my 20s. So that was just one issue, Netta, one. It was the darkest though, because there are stretches of my life when my migraines were so acute that I wanted to die. I truly did. That I would be three, four days in the dark, not being able to eat, so nauseous and so much pain. My brain would throb and usually one side or the other would start on the right hand side and throb and throb like unrelenting pain right through any kind of pharmaceuticals I would throw at it. it would just march right over those those drugs even morphine actually there were times they were giving me morphine and I'd say don't bother it's not touching it it's too short acting it would just like there would be a three second relief and then it would just come fighting back like a monster and so I spent many a day in the dark thinking, what is wrong? It feels like your brain is breaking, like you're gonna be brain damaged at the end of it. And then you pull out of it and you feel good and you're off and running to the races. And for me, it meant I was back to the pizza, the pop, the white bread, the cheese, the sugar, the MSG, all those things that I know today trigger migraines. But no one was there to help me figure that diet piece out until one day, let me tell you, one amazing day, I was in the dark in a doctor's office at the University of Alberta in some specialist office yet again. He was going to do some scan on my head and a nurse came into, into, the, into the waiting room, into my, my, my little room where I was waiting for the doctor and the lights were off and she's like, hello. I said, hi. She goes, oh, she goes, do you get migraines? And I said, yes. And she goes, oh, sweetheart, me too. I used to. I don't get them anymore. She said, can I turn on the light? And I said, of course. She goes, listen, and she leans in, and she grabs a pad of paper and a pen and she goes, please never tell anybody what I'm about to tell you. She said, if you do, I will deny it. And I will say, you're making this up. I can lose my nurse, my nursing license. But she said, sweetheart, they're triggered by what you're eating and drinking. And I said, no, they're not. I've been getting these since I was three and no one's ever said to me, there's a connect. In fact, I've asked, is there anything I'm doing? Is there anything I'm eating? Is there something I can do? And they've all said, no, there's no connection between quote unquote, no connection between diet and disease. And she said, there's totally a connection between diet and disease. Migraines are triggered by what you're eating and drinking and occasionally from weather and you know, some other medical conditions or trauma for sure. But generally speaking, diet is, is a huge piece of this. And she goes, and you might get lucky. And when you clean up your diet, you'll clean up your migraines. So she wrote on a piece of paper, all the foods that I was supposed to avoid. And she was writing and she was writing and I was looking down at it. And I thought, are you kidding me? Like, what else is there to eat? It was like processed meat. Well, I eat a ham sandwich practically every day. I eat pepperoni and, and, and mushroom pizza. I had cereal for breakfast. I wasn't allowed to have sugar or wheat or dairy or processed meats or alcohol or caffeine. Although some people can do caffeine. I couldn't absolutely to this day. I couldn't do chocolate. I can't do anything. I have a really, really sensitive brain that is beautifully, epically happy migraine-free today. 
occasionally I can still get dehydrated or something or trigger a migraine, but it's pretty darn rare. Anyway, so I looked at the list and I looked at her and I said, I eat that all day long, every day, three meals a day, snacks in between, like what else is there to eat? And she lovingly looked at me and she said, you are about to discover the most beautiful world of foods. Like you're, you're going to fall in love with the, with the healthy whole foods. And I'm like, what else is there? But on this list, she goes, well, there's brown rice. There's eggs, there's protein, there's salad, there's stir fries. There's like the world of the whole worldwide kingdom of plants and fruits and nuts and seeds and sweetheart. There's, you won't even believe how much you're going to love the food once you start. So she sent me a way to try and discover whole foods, which was the turning point really. But let me tell you about other things that were going on for me when I was uh, binge eating sugar all day long. Well, actually I didn't start to binge. I did not binge eat sugar till I was in my late teens and I was double my dress size back then. I was pushing a size 16, which was 30 years ago. Right. So that was like, I don't know what that is today in today's sizes, but yeah. I was a very, a very overweight round uh, young adult woman. And I started to diet. And when I started to diet, as soon as I started to pull back on sugar, that's when I started to get into eating really messed up eating disordered behaviors because I was restricting and binging, depriving myself and then binging. And it, I just started getting crazy and obsessed about food. I just ate sugar, flour, dairy, processed foods all day long. Just, I didn't think about it. Right. Until I started to get overweight, it started to catch up with me. And it was mostly post, you know, puberty for me starting to get my cycle and things start to shift there. And I was getting brutal PMS. I was suicidal, depressed a couple of days before my cycle. I had terrible cramps. I was moody, mostly sad. Like I wasn't a te particularly temperamental by nature. Like I didn't get angry. Like some people describe, but I get weepy. And I'd be like, existential, what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? Like, oh my God. And so that was, so I had PMS, I had blinding migraines. I was, you know, 40, 50 pounds heavier than I am today. I had cystic acne. I had depression. I had existential angst. I had every infection going around. I got every cold and flu. I had later on, I got bladder infections and yeast infections that just alternated. So I was on ridiculous amounts of antibiotics for, for including my later stage four rosacea that didn't come until later in my, my twenties. Good gosh. Like honestly, Netta, it was crazy. And, and person, sorry, the only person that ever mentioned anything about diet also said don't tell anyone or I'll lose my job right huh right how sad really yeah yeah she was nervous that you know the doctor would say you have no you're not the doctor you don't get to dispense advice about how to heal or cure or make make improvements to a medical condition you're a nurse you do what I say I'm the expert, right? There was this, there was definitely a, a hierarchical, you know, the, on top of the fact that, you know, the dispense she was administering would have been seen, even today can be seen as like irresponsible and irrelevant. Yeah. And yet he, was, yet he was giving you all these meds and you were still getting migraines. 
Oh God. Yeah. We're, they just got worse. Absolutely. They just got worse. And there's nothing wrong with meds. It's just that um, they weren't doing you much good. Oh, there is profound, there is a profound shadow side to the pharmaceuticals that I was ingesting and the amounts that I was ingesting from damaging my kidneys and my liver, um, rebound migraines. Uh, it, you know, there's a place for pharmaceuticals, absolutely. But as a stop holder till you make the lifestyle changes you need to make till you feel better. So there you were in your twenties with all of these health issues. Did you, how old were you when the nurse sort of surreptitiously mentioned this to you? You know what, it's, a, it's my memory's a bit fuzzy because there was a couple of pivot points, like profound, profound um, pivot points in my life at that time. So one of them, well, I wouldn't even, at the time, I didn't think that the nurse's recommendations about changing her diet was a pivot point. In hindsight, I can see it because I took her list and I threw it away. I crumpled it. I'm just like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. This is not about diet, duh, right? But when I was desperate and my next migraine hit and I'm lying in the dark and I know my body is saying to me, I'm not happy. And I would hold my head and I would be like, I'll do anything. I just, what do you need, sweetheart? Like, I just... I didn't know what to do except just keep, you know, taking more and more drugs and going to more and more doctors and experts. And so I actually, fortunately, always carried a little backpack around with me. And at the bottom of that backpack was that crumpled little piece of paper. Huh. And I flattened it out and I looked at it. And unfortunately, you know what had been really smart in hindsight, actually, I just thought of this right now. If on the other side, she'd said what I could eat, that would have been helpful because all she told me is what I couldn't eat, which seemed like my whole world at that point in time. I was a classic university student. I lived on craft dinner and cereal and extra sugar on the cereal and pizza and pop and man, like I didn't know how to cook really. So, but I figured it out. I figured it out. I started to look at, okay, well, what else do I like to eat? And I realized that I absolutely loved salads and I loved vegetables and I enjoyed chicken and salmon and black beans and that I actually didn't struggle to, to find better foods to eat that were acceptable, that weren't on the list. But the second pivot point was that I had a friend who also knew that I had blinding migraines and she sent me a copy of the Sugar Blues. Now, was it after or before? I really don't rem remember. I think if I'm not mistaken, it was shortly after, within like three to six months. And she gave me a copy of the Sugar Blues and that book reached me in a way that the nurse didn't. Um, although she did reach me, of course, but at the time it was such a short little quick conversation that seemed so kind of like, unexpected that I had to come back to it to really benefit from her advice but the sugar blues reached me I picked up that book mid-afternoon I was a voracious reader and I couldn't stop I could not put that book down like it was three four in the morning and I'm nodding off and I just couldn't get to bed it was riveting to me and I just thought oh my gosh oh my gosh it might be the sugar the sugar might be poisoning my my cells and my brain and I'm just going to get off sugar. I was so excited. And I didn't actually finish the book in one night. I had to eventually, I literally fell asleep and then I finished it up the next day, but I was on 
inspire Netta. Like I was going to break up with sugar and I was going to eat whole foods and I was going to heal my body. And I was so overjoyed at the, at the prospect of it. Cause you know, when you know, when something's your truth and it was my truth, like it resonated with me. There are people who could read the sugar blues and go, nah, it's because it was my truth. It's because it was my medicine. It's because my soul and my body knew. So I started to try and cut out sugar and realized, oh my gosh, it, A, it's in everything I eat and B, it's mm-hmm. really hard. I had brutal cravings. My hands would shake. I would trigger migraines, like the withdrawal, the detox symptoms. It was, the detox was brutal. I got depressed. I got anxious and I kept thinking, I don't think I can do this. There's no internet. This is 1988, 1989. Oh, wow. There is no internet. There are very few books on it. Uh, I had no one to talk to about it. I was saying to my friends, oh my God, I think I'm addicted to sugar. And they'd laugh their heads off like, oh, Florence, you're so funny. You can't be addicted to sugar. You need it to live. Mm -hmm. Um, And then eventually I I had gone back into the doctor's office. And I remember telling my doctor, she was a female doctor. It's like, I'm right there in her office. And she's got this big desk. And I say to her with the most incredible amount of enthusiasm and joy that I read the sugar blues and I'm so excited and I'm changing my diet and I'm hoping it'll help my migraines. And she says to me, oh yeah, well, it won't hurt you, you know, but it's not gonna, you know, no, it's not gonna improve your, your, your migraines or your depression or these, anything else that's going on in your body, right? She sucked the wind out of my lungs, let me tell you. Like I walked, I slumped away from that office. I was so discouraged. Like she, she didn't just, she didn't just knock the air out of me. Like she just knocked me right flat. And it took me quite a few weeks to come back into at least open-mindedness that I was on the right path. And then once I got my feet back under me, there is no human being on the planet that had the power to take me off my own deep inner knowing that food was, was what was wrong with my health, right? That was truly, these were chronic lifestyle induced problems. This was not infectious polio or, right? Mm -hmm. This was because I was eating junk all day and had been from childhood. So that was a pivot point and my diet got better, 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 better. I got better at cooking. And um, I, I, I took foods out in slow order. The very first thing I actually managed to take out was wheat, which surprisingly was, I mean, it was so hard to take out wheat, bread, toast, pancakes, sandwiches, pizza, craft dinner, cereal. My favorite cereal was shreddies. Like, I thought, how could I possibly eat with it? There was no gluten-free bread back then. Let me tell you, Mm -hmm. nobody was talking about gluten-free eating at all. Uh, 80s? No, forget it. No, yeah. So I had to kind of figure out what to do for lunches. Um, there was no brown rice pasta back then. So that was a real process of like figuring out how to replace the the wheat in my world. But my goodness, the reward was stunning. My acne got better. My migraines got better. They did not go away. It had to get everything out, but they got better. And it was encouraging. Then dairy was the next thing uh cow dairy in particular and I was off all dairy for a while and then I've been able to go back to some goat yogurt some goat dairy I think I could do sheep a little bit too but mostly 
I have to be very careful with cheeses because those will trigger migraines for me. Phlegm, um, bloating, like there's just, I, dairy was a tricky one for me as well. That I never thought I could live without cheese. I let that go. Wow. But the consistent wow. was the sugar, right? It got better. I ate less and I can't, you know, I graduated off the white refined stuff to the, the rapidura sugar or the dehydrated cane sugar. And then eventually they started to come out with fancy things like agave and it was like a dog, agave doesn't raise your blood sugar. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. And then I used to make all these raw food agave desserts and not having any idea that it was as bad as high fructose corn syrup. It was worse potentially than the white stuff. It was worse than the white stuff even. Oh, so then all these bubbles kept getting bursted, you know, because I kept thinking all these sort of alternative sugars that were, well, I could have my cake and eat it too. I just have to sweeten it with xylitol or, um, you know, monk fruit or coconut sap or maple syrup and truthfully and honey. And truthfully, I didn't binge on maple syrup and honey. I didn't. And I don't even binge on coconut sugar or monk fruit or even stevia. I don't binge on them. But I could not end my addiction. I couldn't be free. I couldn't fully reverse my, my obsessive compulsive behaviors around food till I let them all go. And I couldn't reverse some of my lingering health issues. And one of them was peripheral neuropathy, which by the way, is another one that I forgot to mention that is potentially one of the most frightening for me because I've, I can see it from my, down my father's bloodline, circulation issues. He was a non-diabetic, uh, had peripheral neuropathy. I'm non-diabetic peripheral neuropathy, and it's the damage that sugar does to the nerves. Now you don't have to be diabetic to get it, but typically diabetics get it. And he was, he had his legs amputated twice. It was a double amputee. He went blind in one eye. My grandmother's went legally blind. My, My father went legally blind. I have a sister who's close to legally blind. My vision is perfect profoundly compromised because of circulation too. So, right, because it can affect, uh, you know, vision and your extremities and it's all circulate circulation related, cardiovascular. So I, um, I couldn't reverse that, uh, heal that. It was always progressing as long as I was still on some of these sugars, even though I get it, honey exists in nature. It's a whole food, you know, honey even can, can combat candida. I'm not saying everyone has to give up honey, but I know that for me, I had to, I just have to give up all sugars. I don't have freedom in my mind unless I'm not making any food that exists in nature, perfect as as it is, I, you know, better by adding sugar to it, right? Like I don't need to make strawberries are plenty sweet. Almonds are plenty sweet. Iceberg lettuce is sweet. Brown rice is extraordinarily sweet. Once you've recalibrated your taste buds. Yeah. Now here's Everything the thing. Sweet. Sorry. Everything tastes sweet when you take out sweet tasting foods. Yes. Exquisitely, perfectly, satisfyingly, sufficiently sweet. Yes, absolutely. But you, you know, I just think as long as you keep our putting concentrated sugars into your diet, you keep having an unnatural appetite for concentrated sweetness, whereas naturally occurring sweet in season too. We don't need to even eat fruits all year round. I and mean, when we can, berries, you know, can freeze 
and you know but tropical fruits for Canadians in winter even that can sometimes leave us a bit jonesy you know um bit unsatisfied a bit nibbly after a meal right so it's just and you, you, the pleasure that you get from just eating whole foods as they exist exist in their perfect perfectness way better than any black for oh god i see even i say black forest cake and i my body just goes oh I loved black for it with the shaving of chocolate and the cream of real rib cream and all oh, those perfectly artificially flavored colored cherries on. Oh my God. But even then, do I get more pleasure out of my food today? Absolutely. I yeah. It, there's a distinction between getting pleasure and being happy, you know, and it, for me, at least I enjoy my food more now because I don't have all the backlash of the guilt and the shame and all the physical, um, you know, effects that all those fake foods used to have. I don't have any of that. You know, I used to love black forest cake as well. <laughs> um, but I always felt guilty after. I don't, it's like that. You don't have that anymore. That's part of the freedom. It is. It really is. Yeah. Any single day, once I read the sugar blues, every single day that I ate refined carbohydrates, sugar in particular, which sugar are refined carbohydrates, interchangeable, one and the same. Um, I didn't feel peace. I just couldn't feel peace because I knew it was a truth for my body. My body knew it, this, it was poisoning my cells. It was wreaking havoc with my health and wellness and my mental health. And I, I mean, I was suicidally depressed, right? On and off, like that was, it was as dark as I would ever want anybody to get. And I was also at the same time, an extraordinarily optimistic, joyful, energetic, enthusiastic by nature. And so in between these bouts, that's who, that's who I was naturally, right? And so thank God for that because I get to live in that place today, right? But let me tell you, so from the day that I read the sugar blues and there was that pivot with the nurse that where she was like, honey, you need to unhook from this junk. And then the sugar blues came in and just hammered the message home. And I started my journey in earnest all by myself. Let me tell you all by myself because I wasn't anywhere getting any support for this idea that you know diet, diet and my migraines were and all my other issues were related. But slowly books started to come onto the market. And I remember maybe a couple of years later, there was a book on Candida that came out. And then what I was doing with the sugar blues is I read all the references in the back and I wrote away to the universities and I asked them for the, stu for the study, the, the original. And I read all of those and I read all of those references. And then I just, one of the references in the book, uh, the sugar blues was, Pure, White and Deadly by Yudkin. And I got that book. And then I looked at his references and I ordered those references. If I could get them, many of them people would say, oh, we can't find it or sorry. Or I'd get these little pieces of photocopied or links or like, it was amazing. But I was a woman on a mission, let me tell you, because it was just me and these books, these few little references, but the stuff I've discovered, like I was obsessed about this topic. Then eventually, I became so obsessed about the topic that I, I knew in my heart 
that I had a master's thesis in me on this topic. And so I wrote away to, to Trinity College in Dublin, Ireland. So I'm now in my late 20s, no, 26, 27, someone in there. I've graduated from university. Um, I've gone on to graduate school. And while I'm in graduate school, I was actually doing an MBA. And I thought, I don't want to be doing this. You know what I really want to be doing? I want to be, I upset, I do my homework for my graduate school, but truthfully, every waking minute of my day, I am researching about sugar. So I, I thought I really should be doing a master's on sugar because I am absolutely convinced, A, that it's addictive, B, it's detrimental to our health and wellness, but C, it's implicated in eating disorders in women because I didn't have an eating disorder, really. I just ate it all day long, but mm-hmm. no yeah, one would have. That's, that's normalized now. Yeah. Like you, no one would have looked at me. Do you binge eat? Nope. Do you obsess about it? Nope. I just eat it when I want it done. Move on. Right. <laughs> but I eat it all day long. Don't get me wrong. And I eat every two or three hours because I just intuitively knew that when I started to get into hypoglycemia, I needed a snack. So I'd go find myself one. Um, anyways, so I, I, I applied to Trinity College, Dublin, Ireland, uh, and under wanting to do the thesis topic that there's a connection between potential connection between sugar, sugar addiction and eating disorders in women, because I didn't have an eating disorder till I tried to, 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 to moderate it. And in that effort to moderate, I tripwired that, you know, which we know predictably now you go on a diet, you feel deprived. It's just a matter of time before you binge. And I got into that binge cycle. Now I'm binging. Now I'm like, great. Now I'm still eating sugar and I'm binge eating it. And I felt worse and more crazy around food than ever. I've made my problem worse is what was happening. But it was a predictable problem when you understand what addiction is. Hmm. And I didn't understand that you can't diet your way. You can't get on a sugar-free diet and end an addiction because it's a willpower, white knuckle, exhausting, obsessive, bound to fail approach to addiction recovery. Yeah, because you're looking at the wrong thing from what I know of it. You're looking at the sugar, but the problem is elsewhere. Right. It is elsewhere. You're right, because it's really about the addictive brain having an urge. And that urge, it has preferences. There's kind of like a hierarchy of it's my first choice is sugar. Oh, if there's no sugar, my second choice would be wheat. My third choice would be dairy. My fourth choice would be sex, maybe porn, not for me. Um, Shopping. Uh, That isn't one of my addictions either. Reading, uh, TV, whatever, right? For me, I feel like my world was alcohol, drugs, marijuana, cocaine. Honestly, I don't know why, but for me, maybe because I had three different kind of sort of food addictions, you know, going on the wheat, dairy, sugar, I never really needed to veer very far into other addictions. I, I didn't, thankfully, I was never... Never, it didn't have multiple addictions going on. Although I had backups when I was trying to deprive myself of my primary addiction. But so it isn't about any of those. The object of the urge is desire. It's about the fact that our addictive brain takes over and starts making food choices for us and starts sort of dictating what it will have, when it when it when it will have it, how much it will have it, and that you know that's a problem. And I wouldn't mind coming back to that, but I'll just say one last thing before I. I sort of get into, you know, what was, what was my recovery? Like what helped me find the freedom I have today, the peace, 
so let me just say that that was that was in my late twenties that I was still doing all this passionate research. My my diet was getting better, my migraines were getting better, my moods and my health was getting better. I wasn't perfect, but I was heading in the right direction. And I was still painfully discouraged by how hard it was for me to get hundred you know hundred percent sugar free because that was still my heart's desire. Because I read the sugar blues, I wanted it completely out of my life. I wanted to be free, but I didn't get free, Netta. The first time I really got one hundred percent sugar free was when I was thirty four and I found a little ad. There's so much story backstory there, but I'll just cut to the chase. I um, I found a little ad in my local newspaper asking, you know, are, you know, do you compulsively overeat, you know, sugar and flour, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. It was a 12-step program for food addiction. I didn't even know they existed. So I joined that. I got, you know, completely clean. Like I weighed and measured every ounce of my food, three meals a day, no snacks in between. I was 100% abstinent. And the, the, the miracles that I experienced on my own mind and body were incredible for sure. But wow. the miracles I witnessed inside those rooms of other people coming in, morbidly obese, diabetic of 30 years, 20 years, 15 years, completely reversing their obesity, completely reversing their diabetes, completely getting off medications, including antidepressants, completely transforming before my very eyes. And I just kept thinking, why is this not on the front page of the New York Times? Why is ev not everybody in the entire world buzzing with excitement about what's possible when you just eat whole foods, right? And it just was baffling to me. And I kept saying to people, oh, you can totally reverse diabetes. This was 18 years ago. You can yeah. totally reverse diabetes. It's actually easy. If you haven't reversed diabetes within the first 30 days, and even type ones being significantly less insulin dependent, you're you're not eating whole foods because it's really just that simple. And it almost doesn't even matter if you're whole foods plant-based, although that doesn't work for everybody, even though sometimes they hope it does. It doesn't even matter if you're paleo or keto, it doesn't matter, right? You can nuance those, what the right meal plan is for you. But the bottom line is, is get unhooked from the refined carbohydrates and miracles happen. They just happen. And you often have to do it hundred percent. If you really, you know, Dr. Hyman says you ain't got no business eating sugar and flour, if you are overweight, if you have a health condition of any kind, if you're depressed, if you think you're addicted, right? You need to get it completely out, completely be in body and mind where you wanna be and then see if you can dabble, but not before because you'll never get where you wanna go. You just spin for decades. That's what I did. I was still spinning. So Netta, as much as I was, deeply transformed by this program that had me eat uh, three meals a day, no snacks in between, no sugar, no flour, whole foods. I weighed and measured all of my food, which was extraordinary amounts of work. I was a university professor at the time. I had a daughter who was one. Um, she was still nursing. Whew, it was a lot, let me tell you. And I had to go to three meetings a week and I had an AWOL and I made all these calls and it was amazing, except there was still one thing missing for me. I was sugar flour free for sure. And I had reversed my rosacea. I had lost weight, I actually got underweight. I had, it was a bit of a struggle to keep it on my body because the meal plan worked so effectively. I 
my mind transformed. I mean, it was probably the first time in my entire life, possibly even from the womb, because my mother, you know, probably had some sugar at least, that I'd ever had no processed foods in my body whatsoever, ever. And here I am 34, 35 years old, and I am a hundred percent whole food woman. And the things it does to your body and your mind are gobsmacking. But here's what it didn't do. I was still food obsessed. I was still white knuckling my way through days, not with respect to sugar and flour because the cravings disappear and you get into a groove, but it was so much work just to stay sober. And in my program, my, my sponsor would say to me, you know, Florence, you know, you gotta do your three meetings. You gotta do this and this and this, not, not, not because your addict is out in the parking lot doing pushups, just waiting for you to drop the ball, just for, just waiting for you to get cocky. Like you got this, right? You've never got this. Addictions are sneaky and deadly and you got to be vigilant every day. So I was vigilant every day, but I was exhausted by it. Like I just thought, I don't want to have to put this much work into being free. I want to be free. I, re I don't want to just be absent. I truly want to be free. And it didn't mean that I wanted to leave my program so much, but I wanted to be able to come and go without this fear and dread of, of going back. So eventually, fast forward, I actually moved to a very small community in Canada in the mountains called Nelson, British Columbia, you know, 5,000 people and no meetings there. And I was underweight and I was kind of like, I think I'm just, I think I'm going to leave program. I think I got this, you know, I'm going to just carry on by myself. So truthfully, I left program and 99% of the time I stayed sugar flour free, although I would still snack. I could overeat chicken. I would overeat peanut butter. So I never really got a grip on some of the emotional eating um, work that, you know, needs to be done as you move through an addiction. But I, I stuck to the eating being mostly a whole food woman. And uh, so that was great. But fast forward, I, and there were a few slips where I'd get back into the sugar and it felt so awful and I'd get a migraine and I think, I don't want this. Like I really don't. This is just, this is just the, the addiction sort of uh, doing what it does. So fast forward, I'm now 48, I think, 47, 48, something like that. And I'm on the, on the couch watching a movie with my husband called that sugar film. Yes. Right. Right. So good. Yes. Yes. I think he's New Zealand. Someone corrected me okay. recently. Is he I know. I thought he was Australia anyways. Yes. And in the middle of that film, there's this unbelievable scene where he's tootling around in Midwest America, I believe where people put Mountain Dew in baby's bottles, which just freaking breaks my heart. Like I, I literally want to fall to the floor and, and, gasp with grief and I just thought that is the saddest thing I've ever heard of and this little 18 year old who had Mountain Dew in his bottle from birth had rotted all of his teeth like all of his teeth we're not just talking cavities like all of his teeth were rotten and they had to all get pulled out so this mobile dentist goes through with his little van and moves through these communities and you know does dental repair work with people and in this case this poor 18 year old had to completely have all of his teeth yanked out of his head and so Damon, the filmmaker who's creating that sugar film, if you haven't watched it, go watch it. It's fabulous. It is. <laughs> and he says to this 18 year old, so buddy, so you're going to like stop eating sugar. And this 18 year old looks at sweet thing. He just looks at him and he's blinking. And I grabbed the remote and I paused it and I turned to my husband and I'm like, 
what? Ah, of course he's not going to stop drinking Mountain Dew. It isn't just about, oh, well, now that you know better, you can do better. Like, I love that people are talking about sugar. I love it because I was the only one that was talking about sugar for decades of my life, probably about 12 to 15. I was the food freak, right? That there was no science. No one was, there were few books. It was not in the mainstream media. There was, you know, a lot of it was pre-internet. So it was such a relief and such a joy to see that there were other people that were on this wavelength, you know, around the world and they were doing beautiful, beautiful, fun, creative work with it. But my God, he didn't seem to have an understanding of the addiction piece of it. So I paused and I looked at Sean, my husband, and I said, you know what? That's it. I'm going to put on a summit just about sugar addiction so that people who are sugar addicted and feel like they're losing their mind, like what is wrong with me? Why can't I stop eating sugar? You know, don't have to feel like they're losers. They can just know they're in the midst of an addiction and there's ways through that. And you're not alone. And here's, here's, here's the path forward. Here's the path to freedom. He goes, Oh, he goes, well, what would that entail? I'm like, I have no idea. (laughs) Haven't the foggiest clue. I'm not even particularly computer literate, to be honest. Anyways. So I'm like, Oh no, I'll figure it out. (laughs) Good for you. (laughs) So I did. It almost killed me because I realized that I needed software. I need to learn the software. I had to build websites. Then I had to research speakers and I had to, I had to like invite them and I didn't know what to say. And I was in hindsight, it's absurd. I was so nervous about inviting them. Like, Oh, they want to be on my summit. I'm a nobody from Canada. Uh, Anyways. So, but I just kind of muddled my way through it. At one point I realized Um, I had actually, at the same time, was so inspired and so called to do this that I actually gave notice to work to take time off to do it. So I now had no income coming in. So we were just living off my husband income, which didn't quite cover bills. So it was, we just got tight, you know, we just tightened things up for a little bit. But I had the brainwave to go down to my local bank and say, can I have a loan to do this project? So I'm in this meeting with this, this banker and she's kind of like tilting her head. You want to do what? Sugar, sugar addiction, what? And I'm like, I know I'm onto something. I'm telling you I am, it's going to be great. And she's like, you know what? No one else would give you this loan. Let me tell you. But she goes, here's $5,000. Go out of the world, kid. I, I just, I believe in this. Somehow I believe in this. So I had my little $5,000 and I hired some people to kind of help me sort of cobble, cobble it all together. And I did it. And it was the very first one in the world. And it was called the Kick Sugar Summit. It was in 2015 that I got this started. And from that, when I was looking for speakers, I managed to pull together, I think it was 21 or 24. And wow. it was a bit of a stretch because there weren't a lot of books. Like there was some back then, true story, uh, Dr. Lustig's famous, now famous YouTube video about fructose, mm-hmm. Sugar, the Bitter Truth, mm-hmm. had less than 300,000 views. And now it's millions. Now it's millions. The last I looked, it was like 11 million or something. Mm. Like that's all happened in the last six years. All of like, this has gone explosive. It's so cool. So, (laughs) so I am, I, I didn't, I don't remember if I reached out to Robert Lustig at the time, but anyways, whatever. So I got my beautiful little summit together. It was the first in the world. We were all so excited to be teamed up because we were all like, we got to tell the world about this. Do not eat this stuff. 
Um, and moderate it if you can, but really seriously, truly. If you're not addicted, like seriously do your best to eliminate it because you're not addicted. So you could take it or leave it. So please leave it. Mm. So it's very exciting. And then now fast forward, you know, I'm doing my seventh summit. Wow. And I have 80 speakers mm. that have reached out or agreed to be on my summit. We've had to cut it back to 60. It's insane. The books that are flooding and the science and the scientists and the doctors just in the last two or three years for some of them, they've had this eureka. Oh my God, it's the sugar, right? It's a processed refined junk. So really exciting times. There was still this, like, I think... A feeling like I was on a diet. Ah. There was still feelings of deprivation. I wasn't fully free. And it wasn't my identity that I was a whole food woman or a sugar flour free. It was that I'm still in recovery. I'm still, you know, um, afraid mm. of the desire that I know is still lingering in there for, for the, for the pleasures of white chocolate chip macadamia cookies. And anyways, so uh, <laughs> moving on, moving on, moving right on. Okay. So um, you would know Netta if you're an addict, because there's this pushback and this kickback that is just undeniable. And all of a sudden everything gets worse because when you feel deprived from a drug that you're addicted to, the deprivation is so intense mm. and then the binging happens and everything just seems to get worse over time. And it's very obvious. And you start to go, what is going on here? Like I'm a really intelligent, motivated, I was a long distance runner and a triathlete and I was a university professor with all kinds of mojo and I could do whatever the hell I want. Mostly more, more or less, I could just make passionate decisions and follow through on it. And I could not do that with sugar. It was different. So for you, you know, sugar, sugar consumers fall into three categories, people who use sugar, which is probably the vast majority of the planet. Cause it's in everything hard to avoid sugar abusers, people are eating way too much sugar and flour. And it's, damaging their, their health and mental health. And then there's sugar addicts. And we're about 18 to 15% of the population, early science, although Dr. Vera Tarman will say, I call bullshit on that. <laughs> I yeah. think way more people are addicted to sugar because it gets us so young, right? That, that exposure um, alone can sort of make our bodies more physiologically addicted than, than what we're kind of seeing in mice and rats. But regardless, we're the tip of the iceberg and we're unique. And we, we have a, a, and the difference between a sugar user, a sugar abuser and a sugar addict, but in particular, the sugar um, abuser, someone who's overeating, consuming sugar and flour and someone who's addicted is that the sugar and the flour more quickly and more intensely impacts our brain chemistry. It's, it's one hell of a drug in an addict. It is very fast within seconds, and deeply pleasurable. Like it, it deeply impacts, you know, the rise of feel good neurotransmitters. So, I mean, if, if it doesn't do that, if it's not going to make you feel good really quickly, really nice response timing, really intensely, you're never going to become addicted to it. If it's like, if it leaves you flat, what are the odds you're going to become addicted to it? Nothing. If it's just a little bit of a lift, you know, but it's not too crazy. You could let it go and replace it with something like in your case, then you're probably solidly in the second camp, right? Probably. But, and, and yet we never sort of, we never really experiment what it's like not having sugar because we're always having it. And then when I stopped to, you know, dropped it to zero it was the first time in my life that I ever experienced not ever not eating sugar. 
Yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden, in your case, you're like, oh, I like this better. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And totally unexpected. Right. (laughs) I wish my story was that easy. Mine was a 26-year journey to freedom. But... I got there. Thank God. And certainly I was getting better over those decades too. I wasn't like, you know, where I was when I started in my, my twenties. So Jack taught me that there's these two parts of us in the mind of an addict. So there's the wise mind or the observer self or the true self. Some people might say it's the soul or the spirit or the higher self. Doesn't matter. The, The whole process has been me just being guided by this passion to help others avoid the suffering that, you know, that we, we all experience. So, um, yeah. So I just, I volunteered on Facebook. I said, anyone is sugar addicted want to sort of be my guinea pig. I want to try and teach this technique. So I did it for free. And then I did a group coaching program and I kept doing my summits and I got better and better at it. And so now that's what I do full time. It's my whole world. Amazing. 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 And such good work. You know, I mean, were you surprised by the number of people that came to see you and that are that you know basically are addicted to sugar um I don't think so I think because since my 20s I I I had at first I was like the preacher you know like I was evangelical annoying shut up Florence we don't care about sugar you're crazy you know and then I realized oh man this needs to be deeply personal before I start pre I need to get you know my own genuine authentic freedom before I start preaching around to other people about what they're eating and I got that and then I move forward into just if people come to me you know I'm happy to help them get free but I don't I don't I you know I just know that most of the world's addicted because I've looked through the lens of sugar and I look at the grocery stores look at what people are putting on you know putting through the till and look at look at how they look we don't look good right now we really don't and it makes me sad and when I see kids in particular and young adults I'd already looked like you know people in their 50s and 60s like just overweight and miserable you can see it it just breaks my heart so I I think that if you right near right now in your home if you could swing a pendulum like 10 blocks around your house there's probably a hundred people that are suffering in silence, not even knowing that what's causing their misery is is refined carbohydrates, their diet. So I think it's rampant and it's everywhere. And, and, but I, but I am surprised by how much in the last six, six years, this topic has exploded. I waited my whole life for this moment, my whole lifetime, really, when you think about it. Yeah. From the from my teens when I first started to, to get get it out of my diet because I was really overweight, and you know my twenties when I read the Sugar Blues like my whole it's like I've waited my whole life for this time in history. It's really cool. It is cool, yeah, and it's moving and shaking right now for sure. And you're part of that moving and shaking because you've got your Kick Sugar Summit. Can you tell us a little bit about the upcoming one and about the Success Story Summit as well, just before we finish up? Yes, absolutely. So the Kick Sugar Summit is is an annual event that we're doing this year, October 12th, 2021. And we interview world experts and we talk about the science and strategies, the insights and inspiration people need to break up a sugar to really become whole, whole food men and women. Now, can some people moderate, you know, by moderate, I mean, just little tiny bits here and there. They can, 
And you know, it's probably not going to kill them, to be honest. Um, if you're truly not an addict, if you're an addict, it just keeps you crazy. You, you, you just never get to the freedom that Netta and I are talking about. So the freedom is way better than black forest cake. But um, so if you're not an addict, but you're an you're a user abuser, then absolutely most eat whole foods. And if you occasionally have a piece of pie or, or, or Christmas cake or birthday cake or something, you're not going to die, right? That, that's not what's going to kill you. It's the unrelenting, you know, three meals a day, and you know, snacks in between that, that's going to catch up with you very quickly in really nasty ways. So we interviewed these experts. Uh, it's 100% free. It's online. It's You just go to kicksugarsummit.com. You can sign up right now. Actually, we're already taking registrations. And after that, I always do a really cool webinar. I think I'm the only summit that does this, is I take the highlights of all of the speakers. So I have volunteers who summarize all of the speakers. And we put it in this little ebook. It's like the Coles notes, because not everybody's going to catch everybody. We have so many people that want to be on our summit. And even though we're saying no, you know, as much as we can, this summit is the biggest one we've ever done. So I can't say no, because they just keep coming. I'm like, oh, we got to make room for this person. So you're not going to catch them all, and that's okay. So what you do is you catch what you can. You, you'll get an ebook when you come to my webinar, and I will literally hit the highlights of every speaker. So I used to be a professor. I love to teach. It's actually my favorite thing. So I teach the core insights of the summit. And then after that, um, yeah, you, you'll, you'll have some options to sort of get support. And all of our, many of our speakers are coaches and scientists and doctors, you know, and there's all kinds of resources there you can tap into. So that said, but we also are going to be doing a sugar success story summit and Netta is going to be one of our sugar success stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and your interview is amazing. So you absolutely have to uh, check out Netta's interview. And it's just people, just everyday ordinary people who some way or another stumbled into their sugar freedom and are just willing to share their story of what, you know, what it was like when they were the sugar, what happened, you know, what helped them get free and what their life is like now kind of thing, just like Netta does with us. And uh, that's going to be, well, at this point, it looks like it's going to be late December, maybe early January, just in time for the new year to help people start off 2022 as whole food men and whole food women. Cool. Fantastic. Fantastic that you're, you know, bringing in experts and on the other hand, regular people, us lay people, to show that you don't have to be a PhD in nutrition to cut sugar. You can just be a regular person, regular consumer, and be sugar-free and happy doing that. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Florence. Fantastic talking to you. <laughs> you too. My pleasure, Netta. Oh, wow. Amazing. Florence's story is so inspiring to me because not only did she take her own health and well-being into her hands, but it was a long journey and she didn't give up and putting her well-being first paid off. And now she's also helping other people, which I also find extremely inspiring. Even if I personally don't identify myself as a sugar addict and I eat in a more intuitive way without having to weigh or measure my food, I definitely can recognize that for Florence and thousands and thousands of people like Florence, her approach to sugar and flour and food addiction is the path to freedom. 
I put the link to the Kick Sugar Summit with this episode. Go check it out. And if you want to start reducing sugar, or if you've already started reducing sugar and you want to continue and really get to the heart of your relationship with sugar, why you're finding it so hard to let go, so that you can get to a place of feeling free from sugar, where you don't need it or even want it anymore, then go to AfterSugarClub.com to start your life after sugar. And if this episode has been helpful for you, subscribe to this podcast and leave a review to let me know how this podcast is helping you in your life after sugar. Thank you for listening. That's it for this week. Keep in touch and see you soon for another episode.